Welcome to The Bear and the Ball. I'm your host, Nick Webster, and this is the post-World Cup 2022 edition. So glad you could spend part of your day with me as I look back at perhaps what was the greatest World Cup ever. So many great games, fantastic personalities, unbelievable goals, and the final itself, a pure footballing treat for the aficionado and for the layman who was just switching through the channels and happened to come across one of the great spectacles I have ever seen. So I just wanted to give you my overall thoughts and impressions of the World Cup and some of the trends that are happening throughout the game that perhaps we can bring to Cal South and Southern California. So let's jump straight into it and we'll revisit the group stages and in group A Holland and Senegal advanced no real surprises there Holland one of the premier European teams one could have made a shout for Ecuador but Senegal having just a little bit more in the last round of games and of course Qatar the hosts of the tournament well they had an absolute shocker but I don't think there was any surprises there that Qatar was going to struggle and and struggle they did. So, Holland and Senegal marching into the round of 16 quite comfortably. Over in Group B, this was one that really grabbed the attention of the country, featuring England, the US, Iran, and Wales. Perhaps the biggest surprise, well, not really a surprise, but the England-USA game. I think we were all hoping for some fireworks and really... No fireworks in that particular game. Nil-nil. Um, even though the US perhaps had the better of the chances, uh, England really didn't show much in that game. But they did in their in their other two games against Iran and Wales. For the US, drama all the way. Their last game against Iran. Certainly a winner-take-all affair. And uh, Christian Pulisic doing the business. Uh, unfortunately, a little bit of... Drama surrounding the U.S. team in regards to Gio Reyna. And uh, lots to be said about coaches not picking perhaps their most creative or risk-taking players and going conservative. When you look at what the result was for the U.S. in in their particular games, I mean, they didn't lose a game in in the group stages. So you'd have to say that Greg Berhalter... Got it spot on. But I think in a, in a World Cup where we saw games turned by individuals, moments of individual brilliance, perhaps there was a, a definite shout of Rayner getting more time. Uh, he didn't. And uh, Berhalter will have to live with those consequences, as will Gio Rayner. But England and the US advancing... So we move to Group C. And this one was a really interesting one. Argentina, Poland, Mexico, and Saudi Arabia. Argentina and Poland eventually coming through. But every team in this group lost. Argentina, of course, famously losing their first game to Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia, with all that momentum, (laughs) couldn't really get it going after that. Losing to Poland and then losing to Mexico. I think many people thought 
before the start of this group, it would be Argentina and Mexico, but unfortunately for our CONCACAF neighbours, they really couldn't get anything going. You know, a tie against Poland wasn't the worst result in the world. I think we perhaps expected them to lose to Argentina, and it was tight until, of course, that little man Messi opened up the scoring. Uh, Mexico did come back and beat Saudi Arabia in the last game, but too little, too late, as they say, and they went out on goal difference to Poland. So it was it was really quite uh, quite exciting, and, and, and many of these last-day group games were just uh, white-knuckle rides, edge-of-the-seat stuff. So Argentina and Poland moving to the round of 16 in Group D. France and Australia. No surprises with France advancing, but Australia really was quite a shock there because we thought that Denmark would carry on their great form from the Euros where they made the semi-finals, but for Denmark it really was a tournament to forget as they went winless. That's right, only one point, and that was a draw against Tunisia. So it was Tunisia and Australia kind of fighting it out, and Australia doing the business when it mattered. So uh, great stuff for Australia, really. You know, soccer, uh, certainly not the main sport in Australia, sits behind cricket and and rugby and Aussie rules actually quite comfortably so good stuff from uh from the Aussies over in group E this one was a wild one Japan Spain Germany and Costa Rica before the tournament you would have said that Spain and Germany would win quite comfortably and advance to the knockout stages well it wasn't to be because Japan just kept on producing result after result they ended up winning the group Spain came second and Germany got knocked out. But this this doesn't really tell the tale. As at one stage in the last round of matches, Costa Rica and Japan were going through. Spain and Germany were going out, which would have been really quite incredible. Spain four, sorry, Spain uh, winners of the competition back in uh, South Africa in 2010. Germany four-time winners of the World Cup. So uh, a big, big, big shock there for Germany and... Uh, Lots of lots of recriminations going on back in the uh, fatherland. In Group F, well, this was another surprising one. Morocco, Croatia, Belgium, and Canada. Once again, our CONCACAF neighbors, Canada, didn't do the business. You know, they went 0-3, which really I thought was uh, a little bit harsh because they were a very exciting team, loved going forward, um, some great players, but couldn't get the rub of the green. Belgium, the golden generation, much expected of them. Actually, one of the favorites for the whole tournament coming in. Well, they bounced out in dramatic fashion. And it was Morocco, the darlings of Africa, who won the group. Best in Croatia. In really a stunning surprise, um, their result against Belgium. The 2-0 win was really the result that just blasted them uh, into into the uh, stratosphere and they they wrapped that up with a 2-1 win over Canada so it was Morocco and Croatia moving into the round of 16 in group G I don't think there was any surprises here Brazil Switzerland Cameroon Serbia Brazil comfortable winners although they did lose their final game having already qualified to Cameroon and that was really quite something when uh, Cameroon won one little in the 92nd minute Ubu Bakar with a header. His celebration was so um, 
shall we say, exuberant that he uh, managed to get himself a second yellow card and uh, a red card. Unbelievable. Scoring the winning goal against Brazil and then 10 seconds later getting sent off. Hmm. Very strange. Anyway, Brazil, comfortable winners of the group, as it turned out, and uh, Switzerland going through. In Group H, the last group, this was a, a, an, another really nail-baiting group. Nail-biting, yeah. I'm, I'm still so excited about it. Portugal, South Korea, Uruguay, and Ghana. Portugal and South Korea going through, but that really doesn't tell the tale because Uruguay were in the pound seats throughout. And uh, it looked like it would be Portugal and Uruguay going through. But then South Korea in the 91st minute, Hang Hee Shan with a dramatic winner over Portugal. And uh, Bosch, Uruguay were out on goal difference. I mean, really quite staggering. So I think what we saw in the in the group stages in Qatar was definitely a, 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 sh- a shaking up, so to speak, of some of the uh, pre-tournament favorites. So why did they lose? Well, if we look at, you know, Mexico... I think that they just didn't, didn't didn't have the cutting edge. There's certain times in the game where you are, are dominant. And in those moments, you have to make it count. And Mexico simply couldn't do that this time around. Uh, for Germany, it really was a case of perhaps long in the tooth, uh, not enough changes within the the system. I mean, this is a team that was world champions in 2014. Quite, quite deservedly so in Brazil. By 2018, they failed to make it out of the group stage. In the Euros, they barely made it out of the group stage before losing to England in the round of 16. And, and once again, couldn't make it out of the group stage. So I think that the whole German national team system needs to be re-evaluated and built back up from the ground and that's very hard to do you have to be very very brave and you have to have a really clear idea of what you want your national team identity to be for Belgium well Roberto Martinez the the longtime coach obviously resigned straight after the tournament this was this was a golden generation. This was a team packed with world class players. I mean, really, uh, it's 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 a roll call of some of the best players I have seen in world football, uh, led by, of course, Kevin De Bruyne, who uh, I absolutely adore. I think he's just such a fantastic player. Uh, but you know, you you had Courtois who perhaps proved himself to be the best goalkeeper in the world, certainly in the Champions League final, just uh, six months prior. Uh, Adevereld and Vertonghen, wonderful centre-back pairing. Eden Hazard, Lukaku, who had you know, a bit of a shocker. So th- these were great players. So it just goes to show that having the best players doesn't always guarantee that you're going to have the best results. And that certainly played out in Belgium's regard. Uh, they have a lot of rebuilding to do. So that led us to the round of 16. Now it's all about winning. It's as simple as that. 
It's not really about the performance. It's about winning. And um, USA drew a tough one in the form of Holland and really uh, completely outclassed. I think that we saw the limits of the US team, certainly under Greg Berhalter. Um, they really had no answer to the sophistication and, and game, I want to say game nous of the Dutch, who, while they didn't have the most possession, certainly made it count every time they got into the attacking third. A 3-1 win certainly was a fair result. The US did get it back to 2-1, but uh, that didn't last for long. And 2-1, maybe that was their opportunity to really put the foot to the pedal and, and see what the Dutch were all about. But... Uh, that didn't happen, and so Holland advanced to the quarterfinals. Argentina-Australia was an interesting one. The Argentinians in complete cruise control for, I mean, let's be honest, 80 minutes of this match. I mean, they, they just had the carpet slippers on, and it really didn't look like Australia had a prayer. And then the Australians made some tactical tweaks and started playing a lot more direct, and all of a sudden, panic stations within the Argentinian team. I mean, it really was quite amazing to see that this direct style of play could cause them so much trouble. And looking at trends within the tournament, I don't think we saw a particular style of play that emerged as the style that teams embraced. I mean, if you cast your mind back to 2010 and Spain winning the World Cup, I mean, they did it with their tiki-taka style and just ground opponents into into dust with their, you know, mesmerizing passing and movement. Um, but here in, in Qatar, you know, direct play, possession play, counter-attacking play, we, we saw it all. And no real style, I think, came out on top. So for the Australians to go route one when they were behind was 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 a little surprising, but, but it worked. And it caused all kinds of havoc for the Argentinians uh, who really were ha hanging on there at the end, but did win 2-1. Uh, Croatia and Japan, well, Croatia have shown remarkable tenacity uh, over this four-year spell. You know, obviously making it to the final in 2018 and they've had their share of penalty shootouts. Once again, game went to a penalty shootout after a 1-1 draw and Croatia, I mean, they kept their nerve. Uh, they seemingly keep their nerve every single time. It, it really is uh, remarkable to see. Uh, and, you know, you, ha you have to... You have to give credit where credit is due. Uh, it is about holding your nerve and finding the right moment to find that perfect corner of the net. And they seemingly do it every single time. Obviously, uh, Livar Kavic, the uh, Croatian goalkeeper, uh, turned himself into a big star and he'll be in the transfer market. He, he did remarkably well in the shootout. Brazil, South Korea was uh, put the carpet slippers on for Brazil. They were outstanding. 
I mean, this was a really dominating display. 4-0 up after 36 minutes. This game was over. Uh, Vinicius, Neymar, Richarlson, Poqueta scoring great goals. And looking at that performance, I'd say the first half performance was perhaps one of the most complete in the tournament. And it really did mark out Brazil as perhaps one of the favourites, although it didn't turn out that way because football is a funny old game. Morocco, Spain was perhaps the seismic shock. Maybe, yeah. Uh, just mainly due to the fact that Morocco, one of the African teams and African teams, haven't traditionally done very well in World Cups. I mean, they set out their stall. They said, okay, we're going to defend with 11 and break us down. So you can imagine Spain had all the ball, um, all the possession. But could they break through 11 players? And, and this is this is an interesting thing that we need to discuss that it's hard. It's hard to break down 11 players in two banks of five or a bank of four, bank of five with one roaming up top. And Spain, for all their individual and team brilliance in, in keeping the ball and moving the ball, couldn't find a way through. So this game went to penalties. And, and let's be honest, I mean, Morocco perhaps had the, the better of chances on the break. So they could have they could have easily snuck it, but it went to penalties and Spain. <laughs> I mean, you have to feel bad for them, but penalties and Spain, the two really don't go together, and they missed three. I mean, they did not score a penalty in the shootout. Morocco, of course, did them, and who can forget Hakimi's great celebration as he notched it home for the Moroccans to send them to the round of eight. Great stuff, really spine tingling, and the last. Uh, Game of the round of 16. Portugal against Switzerland. Scoreline 6-1. But that really doesn't tell the story. Of course, you know, it's a complete spanking for the Swiss. But um, Fernando Santos, the Portuguese coach, made perhaps one of the biggest calls in the history of the World Cup by dropping the one and only Cristiano Ronaldo from the starting lineup and giving a... Debut, World Cup debut, and first start to Gonzalo Ramos, striker from Benfica, who only went and banged a hat-trick. I mean, it really was quite sensational. So Santos looked like a genius uh, for dropping Ronaldo. Ronaldo was, uh, you know, Ronaldo was Ronaldo. What can you say? One of the one of the greatest players of all time. Perhaps wanted to go out on a on a, on a bigger stage. Uh, certainly didn't go out on the stage he wanted to in that particular game and, and things would go from bad to worse. So, um, round of 16, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was good. Um, I forgot to talk about the, uh, England-Senegal game. Well, uh, that was very simple for England. Surprisingly simple. Usually England make things a lot more challenging. Um, Henderson, Kane and Saka making it very easy against the Senegalese and France, beating Poland, which was another very simple game. So that was the round of 16. So we move into the round of eight. And, and this is where, look, every game in the World Cup's a serious game. But now it, now it gets really serious because you're a, you're a game away from a, a win away from the semi-final final. Croatia versus Brazil. Wonderful game of football. Uh, I thought Croatia... Didn't deserve it. Brazil. It was a strange one though, wasn't it? 
you know, Brazil couldn't create the opportunities to get through the Croatians. And I mean, it took a wonderful goal from Neymar, and I'll talk about that a little bit later in the podcast, uh, to open up the scoring. But Croatia just, you know, they're like a zombie. You can't kill them. And uh, Petkovic, with three minutes left in extra time, finds the equaliser. And of course, it goes to penalties. And penalties are a bit of a curse for Brazil as well. And uh, Neymar didn't even get to take his penalty. Once again, the Croatians, they, they did it again. Can you believe it? They've won another game on penalties. Uh, the second game in the uh, round of eight, Holland versus Argentina, an absolute cracker of a game. Argentina, once again, cruise control. You know, Messi does the business again. And Holland really have got nothing. And then they made a tactical substitution. Volkers came on. Big, six foot five, six foot four center forward. Started doing what Argentina did, went direct, and all of a sudden, oh my goodness me. I mean, it's panic stations. Argentina just could not cope with this Verkos lad who scores in the 83rd minute and then in added time. I mean, it, we're, we're talking 10 minutes of added time in this game. It really was quite, quite incredible. Um, Holland get a free kick on the edge of the box and you're thinking, well, it's got to be bent into the top corner of anything. But no, they pulled out a trick play and Verkos converted for 2-2. So... Now we go into extra time, it's back and forth, and the extra 30 minutes of uh, play couldn't separate the team. Penalties! Now this time the, uh, the Dutch team, they lost their nerve. Martinez in the Argentinian goal. Some would say his gamesmanship may have gone a bit too far. Um, I think that in a shootout, anything is... Is anything advisable? I think, at, obviously, at this level of competition, you've got to do what it takes to win. At the youth level, here in Southern California, I think I'd like to see a little bit more sportsmanship. But this is the World Cup, and Holland versus Argentina was a game that had simply everything. I mean, it was uh, it was a classic. And it was funny, I was, I was talking to a friend... And uh, this was before the game. And they were telling me, oh, this has been a great World Cup. And I said, no, nah, it's not been bad. But it's, 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 been missing, it's been missing the statement game. It's been missing the game that in 20 years from now, you'll go, do you remember that Holland versus Argentina World Cup? Or do you remember the World Cup in 2022? What was your favorite game? And automatically, Holland-Argentina would be right up there. And the history between these two teams really made it something very, very special. But Argentina coming through on penalties and Messi scoring again. A penalty in the game, penalty in the shootout. And it's rapidly becoming Messi's World Cup, especially with uh, Neymar missing from the equation. The next day, Morocco took on Portugal. And once again... Santos made the big call and left out Ronaldo. Portugal, perhaps the favourites, but couldn't find the magic that they had against Switzerland and, and Morocco. Yeah, they've only gone and done it again. And Nesri with the only goal of the game and they defended like lions and this was 
another great example of a of how to defend. I mean, I think that, you know, defending gets overlooked. Now, as a centre-back myself, you know, I take pride in defending, uh, pride in clean sheets. And, you know, the modern game, and certainly coaches, we all look at scoring goals. Scoring goals is fun. Well, I think it's time to really look at both sides of the coin and, and say that, not conceding goals is fun. Doing the dirty work, doing the the things that perhaps don't take the most skill, but take the most courage, the most commitment, the most desire. And that's what defending is. And Morocco threw their bodies on the line to protect their goal. And they deservedly were the 1-0 winners and now find themselves in the semi-finals of the World Cup, the first African team to do so. Unbelievable. The last game, France against England, an absolute classic. Two European powerhouses going together. Uh, France opening up the scoring. England coming back through Harry Kane. France going a little ahead with 10 minutes to go through Giroud and then drama. Harry Kane who scored a penalty earlier in the second half to equalise given the opportunity to tie it up, and yeah, that ball is still traveling. In fact, I'm just seeing it fly over my house. Blazes over the bar, France win 2-1, England are out, and this was perhaps England's best opportunity to make a World Cup final in quite some time. Very talented team, lots of great youngsters. It'll be interesting to see how they come back in 2026. So off to the semifinals, and usually semifinals of World Cup, Tense, cagey affairs, tight. But uh, these two, Argentina, Croatia, France, Morocco, mm, yeah, a bit of a snoozers, actually. You know, Argentina uh, winning 3 nothing over Croatia, and Croatia really just, you could see the gas tank. It was, it was on fumes. Uh, kind of a sad way for Luka Modric to buy out, bow out of world football, but... Um, uh, an incredible run for this Croatian team. I mean, this is a country, 4.5 million people, and they've made the final and semi-final of consecutive World Cups. How? Very simple. And this is the lesson that we need to learn here. They teach their young players how to play the game as opposed to how to win the game. So when you grow up in Croatia and you are a young boy or girl, you are taught the fundamentals of the game. That is the most important part of your learning development. How to kick a ball properly. I mean, how many of our kids can not kick a ball properly when you see them at 16? It's quite unbelievable. How to pass a ball properly. How to control a ball, trap a ball. Where to stand, where to, where to run, what does tactical play look like? These are all things that are bred into these Croatian players so that by the time they are 15, 16, you then teach them how to win games. And if we can learn that lesson here in the US with 350 million people, and something like the population of Croatia in 
youth players, we will have a chance of being successful in World Cups. Simple as that. France-Morocco was always going to be an interesting one, just from the point of view that uh, France, from a colonial point of view, you know, historical, but France made it look very easy. Uh, 2-0 winners, and rightly so. In our third-place game, Croatia beat Morocco 2-1. It was a good game, actually, back and forth. Uh, best finish by an African or Arab nation for Morocco for their fourth place, and Croatia... Silver medals, bronze medals in back-to-back World Cups. So that leads us to the final. And wow, you know, um, what can be said about the final? One one of the greatest, uh, without doubt, the greatest World Cup final ever. And perhaps one of the greatest finals ever. The stats really don't do it justice. Argentina 3, France 3, after extra time. Argentina winning on penalties. Argentina, by far the better team for 70 minutes. I mean, France did not have a sniff for some reason. And, you know, I, mean, I think Didier Deschamps, the, the French manager, was saying that Flew had gone through his team and maybe that had something to do with it. But uh, up until he made his subs, Argentina just cruising. Messi with a penalty, Di Maria with a wonderful team goal. Perhaps one of the best team goals in the entire World Cup. Scored by Di Maria, but made by just some telepathic telepathic passing from the Argentinian team. Um, But France, uh, you know, brought on um, Coleman and kind of went a little bit more direct. Should have taken some lessons from Australia and Holland. Mbappe scores a penalty and then... Just, what was it, 60 seconds, 70 seconds later, a ridiculous volley to make it 2-2. And now it's just back and forth. I mean, it's, it's, it's a wild game. It's a hockey game. It's, a, it's, it's, it's become street football. Um, and both teams with incredible chances to win it throughout normal time and then extra time. I mean, it was, it was simply breathtaking. You could not take your eyes off of this game. So it goes to penalties and once again Martinez the the goalkeeper, the Argentinian goalkeeper. He has a wonderful game. And uh saves from Coleman, uh many pressure got to him. He completely missed the target. Messi, Dybala, Paredes and Montiel scoring for Argentina and there it is. Argentina are your world champs. Golden ball goes to Messi, silver ball to Mbappe, bronze ball to Modric, that's for the best players. Golden boot went to Mbappe, silver boot went to Messi, and Giroud got the bronze. Uh, Emiliano Martinez was the golden glove winner, rightly so. Uh, Enzo Fernandez was the FIFA young player, he's also uh, Argentinian, and the FIFA Fair Player Trophy went to England. So, what did we learn? Well, we learned that possession football is no longer the dominant style. So, for all of the that have designs on, oh, we've got to play it out the back. No, you don't have to play it out the back. You don't have to play through the thirds. You have to play what the game demands. Let me say that again. You have to play what the game demands. And sometimes the game demands different things. 
If you're playing against a superior team, you cannot play through the thirds because you're going to get beat. You're going to get picked off. What you have to do is you have to play a bit more defensively and look to counter. How many of you out there work on counter-attacking football? How many of you do exercises where you pick up the ball on top of your own 18 and you say to your team, okay, you've got 10 seconds to get it down the other end of the field? Yeah, that silence is deafening. Yes, of course, I'm being a bit facetious, but this is something that needs to be worked on. Set pieces. We hear about set pieces all the time. Inventive set pieces. That can be the difference between winning and losing games, as we saw from the Dutch. Tempo. When you have the upper hand, you have to put your foot on the gas pedal. You have to take advantage when the tempo is right. Now, I know we're talking about elite world football here. It's not the same for the youth game, but it's still the same game of soccer. We still have to do the same principles of the game. So the best goal of the game, best goal of the finals. Uh, let's start from third place. I thought Neymar's goal against Croatia was just just simply sublime. Uh, the teamwork, the one-twos, pace, timing of the ball, weight of the ball, just beautiful. And Mbappe's equalizer in the final just because of the technique required in that moment 99 times out of 100, all of us would have miskicked that ball. Mbappe, I'd say he's going to connect 9 times out of 10. Really gorgeous, gorgeous finish. But the winner has to go to Richarlson. His goal in the group stage, flicking it up, scissor kick, quite outstanding. Best game, yeah, no-brainer. The final, best player, has to be Messi. Best team, though, interesting one for me. You know, I'm not going to say Argentina. Yes, they did win the tournament. So does that mean they're the best team? No, it means they're the best team on the day. I thought the best team in the tournament was Morocco. They knew what they had. They worked with what they had. And they were very successful with what they had. Look at your teams. See where your strengths lie and play to those strengths. Morocco's strengths was in organization, in discipline, in counterattacking soccer. That's what they did. They didn't deviate from that because they knew that that was where they were strong. Look at your team. Look at the players on your team and figure out where you are strongest and play to those strengths. So that's it. World Cup 2022 in the books. Thank you for joining the Bear and the Bull. Bring on 2026. I'll be back next week with another episode and we will discuss this beautiful game. Last shout out though to the great man himself, Pelé, who passed away yesterday. I had the opportunity to interview him a couple of times. Incredibly gracious. Just a true titan legend. And the reason why the game in the US is the game in the US today. Pelé, number 10. God bless you. This has been The Bear and the Bull. As always, you can find us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just type in Cow South, you'll find us. And you can find me, at Nick Webster on Twitter. I would love to hear your thoughts from the 2022 World Cup. And of course, you can always email me, nwebster at cowsouth. We'll see you next week.